Patricia and I had just gotten married. And I had been assigned by my bishop to a little church in southern Illinois in the midst of the oil fields of southern Illinois. And most people don't even know they have oil in the southern Illinois. I'd already been visited by the trustees when I moved in on Thursday. They came Thursday night after we unloaded everything, and they said, we don't like the looks of you. We're calling the bishop and telling him that uh, we want somebody different, so don't bother unpacking. Now, you've got to remember that I was only four years removed from being the Grand Dragon of the KKK. So I kicked him out of my new house, which was really their house, yes, and told him that I'd been appointed here for one year, and at the end of one year, looks like I'd be glad to leave their place. But I was staying because I had nowhere else to go. Sunday morning, the... The uh, CE director, the Christian Ed director, asked me, said, uh, how do you want the worship service to go? I said, you just do the worship service the way you normally do. Today, all I want to do is observe, and I'll preach. Okay, we'll do it the way we've been doing it. All right. First thing on the order of service was the CE director got up and said, okay, let's take up the offering. And get that over with, and we'll have announcements, and then we can begin worship. They took up the offering first thing. I thought, that's odd. I've never seen that done like that before. After the service, the treasurer handed me my weekly check, and she said, Don't cash it until I call you and tell you whether or not we've got enough money in the treasury for you to cash it. I said, oh, has that been a problem lately? We had seven working oil wells within the site of the church, some of them on the church property. These people were wealthy. And this was a pretty good-sized church. I had a staff. And she said, uh, yeah, we, we never know whether we have enough money in the treasury until after we count the offering. I'll let you know if you can cash it. The next Sunday, I designed the worship service. The offering was not first. We put the offering right in front of the sermon. The the ideal place. The sermon was the premier part of the service and the offering came right before it. And I started teaching the people on offering. And I asked them, why did you put the offering at the very first and make a statement like, let's get this bad part over with? Why? Oh, well, that's what the last pastor did. I said, no, 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 no. Our offering is a great time of worshiping God. 
it's not something we just throw out and get over with quickly. It is the time in which we are able to give part of us back to God. Well, I was there for three years. I never, ever had to wait for my check to have enough money in the bank to be cashed. And we built a brand new Christian Ed Wing, new offices, remodeled the church to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars. It was paid for in cash in three years. Because the pastor who I followed did not quite get the concept of worship. Our spiritual discipline this month is on worship. Now, I'd like to tell you that the church just did wonderfully well uh, after that. Trish and I, we were there for three years. Uh, The bishop decided he wanted to move us so that I could uh, start working on a master's degree. And so he ended up moving us out. And he asked me, he said, what's your recommendation? Who's your recommendation for the next pastor? I said, oh, I said, I don't know. I don't really have any recommendation except uh, don't, whatever you do, don't send the pastor who was there before me. Don't send him back. You know what the bishop did. The treasurer called me two weeks after I was in my next church, and she said, Pastor, just thought you might be interested. He's back. We do the offering the very first. He talks about what a horrible thing it is that he has to take up offering and we have to give. And she said, this week I had to tell him, we don't have the money in the treasury to cover your check. (laughs) Worship. Worship. The first mention of the word worship is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5 in the Bible. There's a hermeneutical principle that some uh, theologians follow, and that is called the law of first mention. So the first time something is mentioned in the scripture, they look at that very carefully and they see what can we learn about this the very first time we find it in scripture. And so the very first time we see the word worship is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, the passage that we've already read, the passage about uh, God testing Abraham. Now, what does the word worship mean? It, it, it means reverence or devotion for a deity. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word that uh, is pronounced we are Skype, we are Skype, or worth-ship, ascribing worth to something or someone. That's what you do when you worship someone. It means to ascribe worth-ship, and we, we've, we've shortened it to worship, but it's worth. Think worth, think value. And that's what we do with God, right? We ascribe his value, his worthiness. Now, what is worship? I mean, how do we worship? You know, we have a part of the worship service that, that a lot of people talk about. Well, is worship just music? It's the music and it's the prayers that go on before the preaching, right? And some people think that's in those terms. 
We need to expand our view of worship and realize that worship is what we do not only in the first part of a service, but it's what you're doing right now because you're listening to God's word being preached and you're ascribing worth and value to that God or else you would not care about his word. It is also what you do throughout your daily lives. You don't have to just worship here in the sanctuary, but hopefully you are worshiping throughout your daily lives, Monday through Saturday, and you are lifting up God, and that's, and that's what worship really is. The word translated worship in verse 5 comes from the Hebrew word that means to bow down or to prostrate oneself. In the New Testament, Worship comes from a word in the Greek that means to kiss the hand in a token of reverence. It was used to refer to a a dog licking his master's hand. What an image of absolute love and complete trust and devotion. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. After these things, these things refer to the previous chapter. Okay? When, uh, there, were, there were many decades, Abraham and his wife Sarah had waited for the birth of a son which finally came in chapter 21 when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. God does have a sense of humor, doesn't he? (laughs) Abraham and Sarah had agonized over their barrenness. In fact, some years before, uh, they'd hit upon a scheme of helping God out a little bit, you know, and and the use of a surrogate in the person of Sarah's Egyptian servant, Hagar. And I'm, I'm sure they had the procedure done in the hospital and, you know. Uh. Oh, wait, no, they didn't do it. No, that's not the way they did it back then. Okay, never mind. All right. But God made it very clear that the promise was going to come through Sarah. So finally, miraculously, she conceived and she bore Isaac in her old age. And some more years pass and now Isaac has grown into a young man. And then God comes to Abraham with a test, not a test to prove anything to God, for God knows all things. The test was not for God's sake, the test was for Abraham's sake. God knew that Abraham's faith was true. Abraham needed to know that his faith was true. So in these verses, we're allowed to see real worship fleshed out. In terrible times of testing, Abraham shows us what worship truly is. I want you to examine these verses as I preach about the five qualities of real worship. The five qualities of real worship. Number one, worship is submissive. It is submissive. The context, God's command was hard and and unbelievably hard, yet, yet it was absolutely clear. Go worship and sacrifice your son. Abraham didn't hesitate. He did as he was commanded. There is never an excuse not to worship. Abraham had every excuse in the world he could have offered, but he offered no excuse. He went and worshiped God and obeyed. He proclaimed the worth 
of God, the value of God through his obedience. This passage generally provokes an intense moral conflict in modern readers. On the one hand, Jews and Christians, they see Abraham as the patriarch, a man to be admired, a man to be emulated. But how can moral people admire a man who is prepared to commit an act for which moral people might want to see him executed or might want to see him in prison for life? Uh, or might want to see him consigned permanently to an insane asylum. Here's a man who is going to kill his own son. So the modern mind, we have a problem with that morally, right? But in actuality, the moral conflict is more apparent than real. You see, Abraham's readiness to obey God's command shows him to be ethically deficient by our standards but not by the standards of his day. As a matter of fact, God had revealed himself to Abraham, but he had not made known to him the full ethical implications of monotheism. Since other contemporary religious believers sacrificed their sons to their gods, here's what God was really doing. He was basically saying, in essence, Abraham Are you as devoted to me as all the pagan worshipers are devoted to their false gods? That's what he was testing. And Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac, therefore, it shows the depth of his devotion to God. Only when God makes clear that he doesn't want human sacrifice does Abraham learn how evil and immoral such behavior actually is. Thus, the modern reader, we can admire Abraham for his devotion without having to believe that his behavior is to be emulated in this case. He did not seek excuses. He got up early and he went in true obedience, a true heart for God. Is marked by obedience. Worship is not only something that a person does. Worship is what we are. We are. Our whole being is ready to worship and declare the worthiness of Almighty God. Real worship is submissive to God's will. Secondly, real worship is steadfast. Abraham's life is marked by worship. You can read about his altars and his times of worship. In fact, Abraham had just finished a time of worshiping at Beersheba, the chapter before this one. He was enjoying a time of blessing and prosperity, and he worshiped God. He worshiped the Lord when times were good, and he worshiped the Lord when times were bad. Doesn't matter. He worshiped God. Well, I'll worship God when things get better in my life. No, you worship God now so things will get better in your life. You see, it's easy to worship God when things are good. It's easy to worship God when the bills are paid. It's easy to worship God when you're healthy. It's easy to worship God when the refrigerator is full of food, isn't it? That's easy to worship God. Oh, but what happens when those things are not like that? It's hard to worship God when you're sick. It's hard to worship God when you're tired. It's hard to worship God when you're broke. 
And it's really hard to worship God when you're sick and tired of being broke. Really hard. Oh, but Abraham worshipped God in the good times and in the bad times. That's real worship. Real worship is submissive. Real worship is steadfast. Here's number three. Real worship is separated. Separated. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, he told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther, and we will worship there, and then we will come right back. When they arrived at the mountain, Abraham separated himself. Do you know what the word holy means? The word holy means to set apart, to separate yourself. So when we talk about being holy unto the Lord, we are setting ourselves apart from those things that are unlike God, and we're setting ourselves apart so that we are joined with God, but we are separated from things that are unlike him. We are separated from evil. That's what it means to be holy, that you separate yourself from evil, from sin. That's what holiness is. And worship, real worship, is separated. Now, He said to his servant, you stay here. The boy and I will go on further and we will worship there. You know, there are some people who cannot go on your journey. There are some people who are not ready to go on your journey. They can't go on your journey because they've not been where you've been. They can't go on your journey because they've not seen the things you've seen. They can't go on your journey because they've not experienced the things that you've experienced. They've not heard the things you've heard. They can't go on your journey. And that's okay. Because you don't have to take everybody with you on your journey. It's your journey. When it comes to worship, it's your journey. I mean, what kind of worship in the church is right? I... I enjoy Anglican Episcopalian worship. I enjoy the beauty of it, the liturgy. I enjoy that. At the same time, I have ran churches and I have pastored churches where we did all that had to have all the right colors and everything was symbolic. And that's, and that's, I find the beauty in that. The order. At the same time, I have pastored charismatic Pentecostal. We have healing lines at the end of every service, and I'm anointing people with oil, and I'm casting out demons. I have pastored a church like that before, too, and I feel perfectly comfortable with that. It's why I can pastor a church in Methodism or Baptist. I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable in all of these different areas. Which one's right? As long as they are worshiping in spirit and truth, they are not wrong. Some people respond more to the high liturgical worship style. Some people respond more to the free-flowing style. Because people are different. God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
But the primary thing is we must understand worship is separated. Some people are not ready to go on your journey of worship. Don't be shocked. Don't feel bad about leaving some people behind because they're just not where you're at. It's all right. You do what you need to do. You worship God in the way that you need to worship God. You do it the way God calls you to do it. Because real worship will shut the world out and just focus on God. Real worship is submissive. Real worship is steadfast. Real worship is separated. Here's number four of our five characters and qualities of real worship. Number four, real worship is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Verse 7, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father... Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Real worship is sacrificial. This worship is going to cost Abraham dearly. He was called to give up the son of promise, Isaac. Notice how God makes the demand. Abraham's response, he never wavers. He gathers what he needs. He goes to do what the Lord has asked him. He's willing to sacrifice everything he has, everything he has been promised at the command of God. He holds nothing back. Sacrificial. Genuine worship is costly because genuine worship will cost you something. If you want to truly worship God, It may cost you your time. It may cost you money. It may cost you pride. It may cost you friends. It may even cost you family members. But we are called to real worship. And then there is Sarah. We haven't talked about Sarah. Because maybe you haven't noticed, but Sarah is absent from this chapter completely. She's never mentioned once in this chapter. How does she react when she hears what has happened? Do Abraham and Isaac tell her when they get back? Or do they make a pact to let's keep this between ourselves? We don't know. Again, we don't know, although one esteemed rabbi points out a peculiar, seldom noted detail in the text. When Abraham returns from the trip, the Bible says that he stayed in Beersheba. And yet the second verse of the next chapter, Genesis 23 verse 2, records that Sarah died at Kiriath Arba and then Abraham came there to mourn for her. Genesis 23, verse 1 and 2. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, 
And Abraham went there to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Beersheba and Hebron were towns about 35 miles apart from each other. And although the text never explicitly says this, it is an implication that maybe Abraham and Sarah were living apart when she died. And it seemed that it may have been because of this incident. We don't know. If so, did Sarah move away from him when she heard what Abraham had almost done? We don't know. Ultimately, maybe Abraham was not only asked to sacrifice his son, maybe he sacrificed his wife in the whole process. Again, we don't know, but it's certainly interesting, isn't it, that the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us. So we don't know the answer to that, but we do know that true worship will cause you to sacrifice. It costs you something. Worship is submissive. Worship is steadfast. Worship is separated. Worship is sacrificial. Here's the last one. Worship is secure. Genesis 22, verse 5. We read the verse a couple times already, but we haven't covered this one little point. 22 verse 5, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Did you catch that? We will come right back. We will come right back. Abraham did not know all that was going to happen. But he went up on that mountain expecting a miracle, and that is exactly what he received. We know from Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, verse 17 to 19, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham knew that his worship would not be in vain. Real worship does not understand all of life. It's not pleased with every twist in the road. Real worship just gives itself unreservedly to God. And rests secure in who God is. Things may not go the way you want them to go. Plans may not turn out the way you planned them. Troubles will come even though you are worshiping God every day of your life. But you can rest securely in the worth of Almighty God. Real worship bows before God because it realizes who God is, what God has done, and where the road of faith will ultimately end up. Real worship knows that the real miracle is that it is allowed to worship the almighty creator of the universe in the first place. What made all this possible was Abraham's availability. He was in his place listening for the voice of God, and he was ready to worship 
because God is seeking those real worshipers. Jesus told us in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is submissive. You have to submit yourself to God every day. Worship is steadfast. You cannot just worship on Sunday and say that's going to make it for the week. No, you worship God each and every day because worship is ascribing worth and value to God. You worship God each and every day by the work that you do, by the integrity that you live, by the honesty that you show, by the care and the concern of others. That's worshiping God. Worship is separated. Worship wants to get so far away from sin and everything that is unholy and ungodlike as it possibly can. Worship wants to be insulated and protected from that. It's in those times of worship where you can sense God's Holy Spirit ministering especially to you. Worship is sacrificial. You will have to give up things. And sometimes you will have to give up people. And it hurts. But it's true. And worship is secure. Why is it secure? Because we know whom we worship. 